Tim Blaine Shapiro, Divorce661.com, here at with you uh, today, this Thursday, November 30th, 2023, for the Daily Perspective, Day in the Life of an LDA, Daily Perspective, Episode 34. I hope you're doing well today. Um, well, the clients, my clients and people in general are getting the message, maybe through my videos um, or my intention, that uh, we are at that point where if you want to get your divorce finalized this year, before the end of the year, uh, that can still be done. Whether it's a new case in LA County, we can get all the paperwork done, or any county in California, we can get everything totally, totally done. It may not be approved by the court just yet, but the paperwork portion can be done. LA County, we can probably have your divorce approved on like January 1st, January 2nd, uh, whatever that first uh, open court date is uh, after the holiday. Um, so if you guys want a fresh start, that's still possible. Um, today's stats, uh, five consultations so far today, two new filed cases, two uh, judgments received approved from the courts. Uh, we are winding down. It appears a bit is actually still quite busy, uh, but we're doing a lot of the work of getting divorce cases finalized. People are currently working with and new clients coming in who maybe they want to get a new filing going or they've had their two, three, four, five year old divorce uh, pending and they're like, this is the time we want to get it done in 2023. November stats for this uh, November 30th for November, um, looks like we handled 31 divorce cases this month. That would be a mix between new cases and, uh, well, they're all new cases to me, but when I say new cases, I mean, we're starting from scratch. They don't have a filed divorce case and uh, people that have an open case, they came to us, whether they had um, another service or doing it themselves uh, or attorneys, and then they got amicable and wanted to reduce their costs. Um, and so that's a mix. Those 31 cases are a mix of those and uh, all in uh, so far this year, 333 divorce cases completed. Okay, here's the conversation for the day. I have a big lineup for you. And just to kind of give you what the talking points are, I'm going to talk about why we file all cases downtown LA. I'm going to talk about our amicable divorce cases being the new norm or becoming the new norm, understanding the legal process of divorce common mistakes to avoid during a divorce. We're going to talk about the paperwork and errors and stuff like that. We're going to talk about legal separation versus divorce. We're going to talk about hiring an attorney when you're amicable and maybe you didn't really need that. The role of mediation in divorce. Uh, divorce mediation versus litigation and what might be right for you. We're going to talk about understanding, I lost my draft, understanding social security benefits. That's a big one. We get a lot of disputes or, or conversation around that. Um, about keeping your finances separate during the marriage, how to save money on legal fees in a divorce. Um, and then we're going to talk about some articles that I, I read today. We're going to talk about the shortest uh, marriage in history. We're going to talk about what do you do post-divorce uh, for your first holidays. I think that's relevant with, uh, you know, we just had Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's is coming up. How to divorce-proof your marriage, strange reasons for getting a divorce, and how to prevent a costly divorce. So lots for you. You know, now if you're watching the intro here, we're three minutes in. If one of these items uh, piques your interest and you don't want to listen to the whole thing, not going to hurt my feelings, uh, scroll down in your YouTube app and look for um, chapters and the chapters should be broken down for the individual topics to some degree. Okay. So we're going to start with number one, why I file all cases in Los Angeles in the downtown court. Um, same day or next day approval on judgments versus several weeks. So the biggest reason is, number one, I've, I've talked about this before. Number one, I feel like they are the most competent court 
Um, there's more courtrooms, more clerks, more judges, more everything. They're obviously the busiest, so it's 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 equal. Just because they have more court clerks and courtrooms doesn't necessarily mean that's why they're faster. But they are handling the the bulk of divorce cases um, in LA County. Um, I think the last time I checked, they were eleven top of eleven thousand, close to twelve thousand um, divorce cases. I have one I just e-filed today. I'll, I'll know exactly where we're at. Um, and uh, the biggest deal is on review and approval of settlement agreements and judgments and, and paperwork in general. With the downtown court, uh, we will get uh, same-day approvals on the new filed cases. So when we submit a petition, and we're even getting same-day or next-day approval on the judgments when we turn in your final paperwork for review. And that's just simply amazing because it's six months plus in some counties. And even in L.A. County, the different branch courts such as Pomona, Long Beach, Torrance, Chatsworth, Van Nuys, Lancaster, et cetera. These are all branch courts. While they're smaller courts, smaller, less courtrooms, less judges, less clerks, less cases, they're, they're not equally as fast. In fact, um, we're having like all these courts, branch courts I just uh, talked about, Van Nuys, uh, Pasadena, Chatsworth, um, Long Beach, Torrance, et cetera. They're taking three weeks uh, in most cases to approve the judgment. So I don't know why they are taking so much longer. Um, maybe they're more backlogged. I don't see how that's possible, but um, that's why I filed downtown. So rest assured you're in good hands if you use my service for all cases in California, number one, but particularly in LA County. If you're wondering, hey, I live in Santa Clarita or I live in Long Beach or I live in um, Lancaster or I live in Woodland Hills or Long Beach, or even uh, like Pomona. Why am I filing you in downtown LA? Because it's the fastest court and you don't need to worry about it because you're not going to court. There are no hearings. There's no appearances. You don't show up to court when you use my service. So that's a good thing. All right. Number two, are amicable divorce cases becoming the new norm? To me, I would think they are. I think most people come from a place of wanting to have an amicable divorce. I think I should know how to say that after 12 years. But I think most people would love to have an amicable divorce, but it takes two to tango. It takes two of you to be able to be amicable and uh, want to be amicable. I'll get calls from um, of consultations where they're like, Tim, I want it to be amicable, but he or she is you know, not being honest or he or she won't come to the table and talk about it. He or she won't respond when I try and bring up the topic. And it's very hard to have an amicable divorce when parties aren't uh, participating. But one of the stats, I just uh, I just Googled it, 90% of divorce cases never go to trial. So even if you have a contested divorce case and you're not amicable, and maybe you, I'm not a good fit for you because you guys aren't in agreement, there's only a 10% chance you're, only gonna, you're ever going to, to court and see a judge. And why is that? Because the process is set up with the courts, and this is anywhere in California, that going to trial in front of a judge is a last resort with the courts. They, The courts will do everything in their power to get you guys to reach an agreement prior to you having an official trial with attorneys in front of a judge with evidence and and, and all that good stuff, everything but uh, but a jury. And they have things such as making you guys have three-way communication between your attorneys and yourself or four-way sit-down going to the court's uh, mediation uh, services first, uh, trying to solve certain pieces of your divorce as opposed to the entire thing. Maybe you go 
to handle child custody and you guys get that satisfied. Then you go and talk to another mediator at the court and you handle you get child support uh, covered. They're going to try and break it up into pieces as opposed to say, well, just because you don't agree on these two things, we're going to have a trial over your entire divorce. That's not what they do. They're going to try and get you in agreement to as many things as possible. And then if there's just, the, as a last resort, as I said, if there's um, no other result, you guys just can't reach an agreement, um, you'll end up going to trial. But guess what? Only one in 10 of you are going to do that. So if you can, take a step back. Think about making your divorce amicable. At the end of the day, if you think about it, if you strip away the emotion and all that, and let's just say everything's on the up and up. There's no criminality. There's no one hiding assets. There's no one you know, misbehaving in that way, trying to do things like that. Um, you should be able to get rid of the emotion and step back and reach an agreement on in an amicable fashion. Because at the end of the day, I don't think you're going to end up or fare that much better going to trial. I was just talking to a, a client um, who they were amicable. And this happens once in a while. They're amicable. We did their draft of settlement agreement. And then the the um, the husband wouldn't sign it. And I asked, I said, well, what's going on? She said, you know what? He just decided he doesn't want to be, he doesn't want to be divorced. And that can be a problem. He, he agrees to the terms. The terms are fair. They're dividing everything equally. Joint legal and physical custody. They both make about the same money. So no alimony, no child support. Pretty straightforward divorce. But he just said, you know what? I just decided I don't want to be divorced. So he's just not going to participate, which can be highly problematic. That will likely go before a court or before a judge. It won't be a trial per se because it'll just be one party at some point. But that goes down a whole nother path of a, a, a default without an agreement, which can be very challenging when there's assets and debts and kids and a home and pensions and all that. Because where in this case, they were going to divide the house equally, but they were going to each keep their own 401ks and pensions. Unless those are equal, um, you can do that in a, in a case where the parties agree. But if through a default case where there's no agreement, the courts are going to make those split be split 50-50, 99% of the time. Number three, understanding the legal process of divorce. Okay, I want to talk about the, the process of filing, serving, and what that process looks like. I had a call the other day where um, someone was served and they just said they were overwhelmed with the process. And, and it can be because there's just so much information out there. If you're looking at the court website, there's also a lot of bad information out there. So I can see how that can be overwhelming. So I'm going to walk you through step by step, and it'll be brief, of the, the process of going through a divorce from high level, from both parties' perspectives. Number one, you're, someone's going to file. And let me do this from a more of an amicable situation as well. So the first step is, Honestly, the first step is you guys should talk and make sure you guys are on the same page if you want to keep your divorce amicable. Don't uh, don't just go um, hire someone or file for divorce and have your spouse served. Even if you guys are friends, I tell you, I you know I've been married a long time. If I got served divorce papers and I did had no warning, um, even if it was from a friend at my house or in the mail, I'd be like, what the heck? You know, I, I think it would put me back and say this doesn't seem to be starting off quite that as like I'd like it to. So it's, it's going to put someone off. So talk before you file, May, you know, discuss who should become the petitioner. Keep in mind, it makes no difference who the petitioner is. doesn't matter. Um, usually the person who is uh, starting the divorce ends up paying for it, you know, at least with my clients are concerned, but definitely talk about it before you file. So the first step is that a petition for divorce is filed. There's going to be some additional forms that go along with that, but that's the basis of it. You're going to file for divorce. In the petition, there's no terms, there's no agreements, 
there's there's basically you're just telling the court, giving them the statistical information they need: names, addresses, date of marriage, date of separation, children's names, date of birth, more of the boilerplate. There is there is some re, some information in there, like what's what are your thoughts on child custody? Is it going to be joint? Is it going to be sole, etc.? Um, and then they ask about spouse support. Um, what's your thoughts on spouse support? Is it, are you thinking of requesting it? Are you thinking you might going to pay it? Is there going to be support um, never now or in the future, or you don't know, and maybe there'll be some support in the future. I put those in plain English. That's not how they read out on the petition, but I just wanted you to understand in plain English what, what those mean. And then when it comes to assets and debts, it asks what here, what is your separate property? What is your community property? You don't have to list your assets and debts on the petition. You don't have to put forth a settlement agreement type document with your petition. It's very basic. In the property sections on the petition, we usually say something as simple as to be amended or parties intend to reach a, a full agreement on all issues or something like that. You don't you don't have to list assets uh, and debts in a petition. It's very boilerplate. That gets filed and the case number gets issued. Gets issued. That's it. That's what happens when you file for divorce. Nothing else fancier than that. Then the next step is once the case has been filed and you have a case number, the next step is the paperwork needs to be served. Now there's multiple ways um, that you can serve divorce documents. And I won't go into all of them. I did a full video that was about 20 minutes long. We talked about all, I think it was called the six ways of serving your spouse. With us, the easiest way is by notice and acknowledgement. It's simply a form that the other party, the, the respondent will sign that says they received a copy of it by mail. That's it. You don't have to get friends to serve them. You don't have to hire a process server and you don't have to um, hire the sheriff all of those are options to have your spouse personally serve, but why do that when it can be as simple as having them sign a piece of paper that has the same purpose as being served in person? That's how we do it. So I've done it for 12 years. And it's one of the first questions that people ask in the consultations is, Tim, you know, let me know when he's going to be served or she's going to be served because I want to give them a heads up. Guess what? Nobody's getting served like you think. After they're served, that's what starts the clock on the six months. There's a lot of confusion around that. The filing date is not the date of sir, is not the date that the clock starts on the six months. It's the date that your uh, um, sorry, <clears throat> the date that they are served or signed this notice notice and acknowledgement, and that's what starts the clock. Now moving forward, it's a six month process. If you finalize your divorce within that six months, like most of our clients are done within the month. We can submit it for a review and approval, and the court will pre-approve it and and process it and finalize it. Like the case we had approved today, uh, it was approved today. We started it last month. We turned it in on the 31st day, which is the soonest we can for review and approval, and they're done. Divorce approved, signed by the court, the whole thing. Their final divorce date is April 28th, 2024, next year, because of the six months. So that's how we do it. That's what you can expect when working with me and my services. We're gonna we're gonna get it knocked out. We're not gonna drag this out through a six month process. We don't have to wait six months to turn it in for review. We can turn it in as soon as 31 days after your spouse has been served, i.e., signed that notice and acknowledgement. So backing up, we've filed, signed an acknowledgement, quote unquote, being served. Do your financial disclosures, which are mandatory by both parties. It's called the Preliminary Declaration of Disclosure. This is the Income and Expense Declaration and Schedule of Assets and Debts required that both parties do that in an amicable divorce. We're talking default with an agreement or uncontested, which is the way we handle the cases. Um, in most cases, it's going to be default with agreement. Um, you do the financial disclosures. The idea there is to get on the same page. Here's what we have. Maybe husband or wife did all the bills. 
I get my family. I do all the bills. I do all the reconciliation. I, I you know, do all the banking and all that. So maybe my spouse isn't aware, although she is, of all of the assets we have. Maybe I started a, a IRA on the side or a Roth IRA for my business or something like that. The disclosure process is to say, here's what I know that we have. And then they do the same. Here's what we know, what we have. And they're like, oh, I didn't know you had that. Or do you open another bank account? Or I didn't know you had this extra credit card. A lot of people, and it's one of the things we're going to talk about, is to keep their, their assets completely separate. But we'll get into that in a minute here. And just a, um, uh, a tip, if one of you takes the lead, and there's usually one person kind of leading the charge on the divorce. Um, maybe they're the one that had the consultation with me. Maybe they um, are spearheading this, and they're the one that, that wanted it, so they're moving it forward. And usually the other one may be a little reluctant, but not as much on the same page as, as wanting to as aggressively to get the paperwork and get through the process and get that done. In that case, one party can do the financial disclosure. You can do that schedule of assets and debts, list all the stuff. And then you can sit down with your spouse, and this is kind of like a pro tip, and say, hey, here's what I have. Is there anything we need to add? Am I missing something? Did I forget something? Do you have anything else you want to add that I'm not aware of? Just make it simple. You guys don't have to do it blindly. Like if you know, like if I knew everything and my spouse didn't, and I do this disclosure, and I'm like, well, I'll wait for you to do yours. I mean, what's the point? Just make a copy of it and say, here, add, add it, and then do your disclosure. Make it simple, especially if it's an amicable divorce. I know when I worked for a law firm 13 years ago, the trick was, you know, wait for the other party to do their disclosures, and once you had them, is you just basically make a copy of them and then show the show your client, hey, this is what they add. What do we have to add? That's it. Doesn't have to be super complicated. Um, once the disclosures are done, then you can reach your settlement agreement, and you, now you know what all the, uh, the the purpose of that is. Now you know what everything's on the table, and now you can come and start working towards an agreement, and um, start drafting up the settlement agreement. It's called the judgment package. There's some other procedural documentation that goes along with that, and then you guys sign that, notarize that, and that's what gets submitted to the court, and that's what becomes your divorce decree. Now that sounds like a lot. But it doesn't have to be stretched out. Let me show you. Let me explain to you how it looks like working with me. You hire me. You've already talked to your spouse. You guys hire me collectively. I'm going to work with both of you as a neutral third party. And then what I do is I file. We usually get it filed the same day. We get that uploaded to the portal. I have that notice and acknowledgement electronically signed by the other party. I send out the disclosure forms. You guys, I have a little worksheet that says, okay, uh, provide me the terms of your agreement. And if you already know what those are, you just knock that out. Tim, I'm keeping this stuff. My spouse is keeping this stuff. This is what we're doing for custody. This is what we're doing. We want child support, yes or no. If so, how much? Um, if we want child and spouse support, you know, whatever the numbers are, you supply that to me, and I do everything else in one go. Disclosure forms, judgment documents, settlement agreement, all in one shot. It all happens very quickly, and that's why in most cases, we have our clients' paperwork done within the week. At the longest, a month, if parties are already discussing and they want it to be done quickly and then submitted, reviewed by the court and approved. So that's how, <clears throat> that's how that looks in a nutshell. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, hope you didn't have your ear pods in or your ear pods in when I just coughed in your ear. Hope you didn't have it on loud. Okay. So that was understanding the legal process from a former's perspective on divorce. Number four, common mistakes to avoid during a divorce. And again, I'm going to focus on um, the paperwork errors and things in, with what I do and what I see with clients making mistakes, not the, the legal side of things, which as a legal document preparer, we can't give legal advice. So this is not going to be about trials and how to beat your spouse and, you know, and winning court. This is going to be about how to win by doing your paperwork correctly. 
So the biggest issue is with with folks doing their own divorce, and I and I want to say with and using services that are subpar, and also I've seen people I've seen people hire paralegal firms and then hire me because everything's being rejected, <clears throat> and I'll say, oh, I see you you guys were doing your own divorce. It's pretty bad. You know, I'll be nice about it. And they'll say, no, we actually hired a paralegal and I'll, and I'll be shocked because it's, it's bad. Like maybe they are brand new and it's their first case and they have no training because that's how bad it was. Um, but the biggest things we see is, and keep in mind, it doesn't take much to cause rejection on your paperwork. When it comes to the petition, this is where people get caught. They're like, they'll look and say, first they'll say, oh, I guess I can do my own divorce, which yes, you can. And the first couple of forms look pretty straightforward and they are, but there's little traps of what of, of issues and errors you can make even on that simple petition that will cause your judgment and your whole divorce to not go through. On the petition, I'm just, I should have pulled it up, but I'm going to go off the top of my head. I should be able to do that after doing this for so long. Um, changing the names throughout the paperwork. I'll give you an example. Like my, my name is Tim Scott Blankenship. So let's say on the petition, I put Tim Scott Blankenship. And then on the summons at the top, I put Tim Blankenship and I don't put the Scott part. Then those don't match. And that's a rejection that will cause you. You have to start from scratch, refile, reserve the whole thing. Just that little issue right there. On the date of marriage and date of separation, people won't put a date of separation because they say we're still living together. So they don't put a date of separation. You got to put a date of separation. You can't leave that open. Um, and then underneath that, where it says date of marriage and date of separation, people won't do the math you know, five years, eight months, they'll leave that blank. That can cause your judgment to be rejected. Not marking on spouse support. If you're going to, if you're going to want um, spouse support or not, people are writing none. People are writing all kinds of things in there. We agree to no spouse support. You have to mark one of the actual boxes on the petition. So I don't want to go over every single form. Um, but this, the idea here is that making mistakes, even on the initial documents when you file can cause your entire judgment um, to become rejected, even though, and I say this all the time, your paperwork, you, know, you filed it, maybe you e-filed it, maybe you used the guidance file, you maybe even went into court and <clears throat> filed that with the clerk and they looked at your paperwork and stamped it. You're like, yeah, I'm good. No, you're not. It doesn't, just, they're not there to uh, review your paperwork. Even if, I mean, aside from it being totally blank and apparent that, hey, you didn't fill it out, if it looks filled out, they're not going to review it for any type of accuracy. They're just going to file it. And people do not believe me <clears throat> when I tell you that, but it's true. So simple errors will cause your judgment rejected, um, wrong forms, incorrect forms, using the wrong. I mean, just there's so many ways this can go wrong. Um, when it comes to the settlement agreement, you could put wrong information in there. Um, a big issue is people Googling for, um, you know, California divorce um, marital settlement agreement template or whatever you guys put in Google. And there are some out there, but they're terrible. They look fancy. They have all this fancy legalese, but it's all incorrect. It has nothing to do with California. It has all kinds of incorrect boilerplate. The first four pages say absolutely nothing, but it sounds good. None of that's necessary. Don't use those. Don't use those templates. Um, they're going to cause your judgment to get rejected. I've had people do their own divorce. I mean, been doing this 12 years. I haven't mentioned that already. And they, they say, Tim, our judgment got rejected. And I look, I'm like, well, you can't use this. This is invalid. And I'll say, just send me that. And I'll take from that and put it into the correct format with the correct legalese. Anyways, I guess the the, the short story is there's so many things you can that can go wrong with your divorce um, when it comes to the paperwork. And that's what I do as a specialty. Number five, 
legal separation versus divorce. You get at least asked at least once a day. What's the difference, Tim? The difference is procedurally nothing. Well, I shouldn't say nothing. Very minor detail. When you go procedurally, the difference between a legal separation and a divorce is you don't have to wait the six months when you do a legal separation. It'll be your legal separation will be approved as soon as the court reviews it and approves it. In a real world scenario, like for LA County, yeah, I can have your legal separation case. You'll be legally separated officially in 31 days. Not a problem. Other courts with their six month backlog, it's going to take just as long as the divorce. So if you're on the fence or if you're doing legal separation, because you think it's going to be faster and you're in a county like Solano, not Solano, uh, Kern or Sacramento or um, San Francisco, uh, Contra Costa, Alameda. Um, some of these courts that are taking four and five months, it's not going to be done any sooner than a divorce. So if your thought is, I'm going to do a legal separation because it's going to be faster than the divorce. In reality, it's not true. So um, for that reason, it's different. Now, the process is the same. Same forms, same paperwork, same decisions have to be made. So it gets filed, it gets served. Everything I just talked about and how that goes down, the only difference is a checkbox on the petition. One says divorce or dissolution. One says legal separation. Other than that, the process is the same. One thing I should note on that, if you go through a legal separation all the way through and it gets approved by the court, and then like a year later, you want to do your divorce, you have to file a brand new case, new case number, new court fees. You start from scratch. People aren't aware of that, but that's the case. I always tell people on the consultations when they want to do legal separation, just keep in mind, we have to do this all over again. Uh, if you want a divorce, new case number, new fees, the whole shot, you don't have to relitigate or address the issues in the, as far as the settlement, but it's a new case to do the dissolution of marriage. We don't just convert that legal separation case to a divorce. It's a brand new case for divorce. <clears throat> All right. So we talked about uh, legal separation versus divorce. Number six, hiring a divorce attorney when applicable. And most people do this because they're not aware of services like mine. I feel like they know the word paralegal, but the paralegal means that the paralegal works for an attorney. So people, I think when they go to start their divorce, they're thinking, well, I can do it myself or I can hire an attorney. I say this because we get two to three cases a month where people have maybe paid a $5,000 retainer for an amicable divorce to an attorney. And, and then they, um, you know, it's not moving forward or the, the, the attorney is working on litigated cases with other clients and things like that. And there's kind of gets put to the, to the side because it's not a moneymaker for them. You know, it's going to be whatever amount of other, probably going to spend the full $5,000 or more, even on an amicable divorce. In fact, I've seen people put a $5,000 retainer, um, go through that, call me <clears throat> and say, Tim, um, I, we spent the $5,000. We've, you know, we didn't want to give me more money. So they filed the substitution of attorney and now we need to finalize divorce. And when I get their case number, I look it up and all they did was file the petition for $5,000. You filed the petition. It's crazy. There's better services out there. Um, I do tons and tons of, of talking and videos about this and podcasts. If your case is amicable, you do not need a divorce attorney. We are uh, registered legal document preparers that can put do everything the attorneys do from a neutral third-party um, standpoint anywhere in California. So there's definitely a better way to go than hire an attorney. I'm not blaming you. I know you probably didn't know we exist, and I hear that all the time. Number seven, the role of mediation in divorce, different types etc. So we're going to talk about different types of mediators, um, what they do as far as filling in the gaps of missing information and how they help you get into an agreement. 
and how they can complement what I do. So let's start with the different types of mediators. So there's going to be mediators. I want to break it maybe into three different classifications. It's going to be your attorney mediator. So just be your regular old family law attorney who um, does divorce, but they also do divorce mediation. Um, most attorneys, I'd say maybe 10 years ago, didn't do mediation. They just did litigated cases. Um, but um, I, there's, because mediation has become so popular over the last 10 years, now most att divorce attorneys will uh, also um, advertise that they do mediation. Um, the next um, type of mediator is going to be a non-attorney mediator. And this will be someone who has done some variety of classes to be trained to become a mediator. As far as I know, last I checked, there is no real um, licensing or registration. To be fair with you, me being a legal document preparer um, has more stringent rules uh, um, to be able to do what I do than to be a mediator. Again, as far as I'm concerned, there's no particularly li license or training or anything. There's online classes. There's a six-hour class I saw online um, that you just watch videos, and now you can say, hey, I'm a certified mediator by XYZ you know, certification or company. So um, I know there are legitimately trained mediators out there. I know there's uh, mediators that there's, there's better, there's companies out there that, um, I don't know, there's like a top three training, uh, mediation, mediator training companies that people uh, like want to be known for. I've been trained by XYZ company that they really turn out better mediators. But keep in mind, when it comes to the type of mediator, it's going to come back to personality, their expertise in the fields. Um, there's different types of mediators. Um, when we're talking about these non-attorney mediators, there's certified divorce financial analysts. There's people that, that uh, focus sp specifically on the financial part of it. They're like, think of them like CPAs, even though they're not. I know that's a particular de designation, but think of them like a CPA, but specifically to divorce. So if you have a financial issue, you're not going to want to go to a child custody expert mediator. You don't want to use a CDFA. And I've done uh, plenty and tons of interviews, probably six or eight different CDFAs throughout California. I've interviewed them and you can find them on my podcast on YouTube as well. So divorce attorney mediators, non-attorney mediators. I said there's three. And I think the third one in my mind was going to be someone who just calls themselves a mediator, but they're not really have any training. Um, because again, there's no license licensing. There's no registration um, at all. And uh, I mean, I'm sure it's good. I could call myself a mediator today and uh, I would not be a good one. I stick to my uh, my role and, uh, and what I'm good at. So that's the um, that's the different types of mediators. Now, filling in the gaps. Why are why are mediators helpful? I, I think it might be obvious, maybe not. But a lot of what getting through a divorce is, is that people don't understand the process, the decisions they have to make now. I'll have people call me then in when they schedule the consultation, it says we're looking for a mediator. And I know um, that they that's not what they mean. They think they need a mediator, but they don't. They just need someone to fill in the gaps of how this works. And that's what we do on the initial call. I'll have, I'll have that discovery session conversation with them to say, you know, what is it? Why do you think you need a mediator? Oh, we don't know how it works. Very basic. I can help you with that. And I don't call it mediation. To me, me sitting in a room or on a Zoom call where you two are going back and forth and you're having someone moderate or mediate the, the questions and kind of through a series of questions and answers, pushing you guys through to, to come to a result of, of an understanding and making a decision and an agreement on things. What I'm talking about as far as filling in the gaps, 
this is how community property division works. This is how, these are the decisions you have to make. You have to talk about all these different things so we can finalize your divorce. I don't call that mediation, but you know, usually that's 99% of the time. That's all my clients need. They're like, you're right. I don't need a mediator. We just needed to know how it works. Um, yeah. So the different types, we talked about the different types of mediators that they fill in the missing gaps of information and they help you get into an agreement. And the, uh, the last phase of number seven, the role of mediators is that they can kind of complement what I do. So two, two ways this happens. I have uh, mediators who re, who have mediated a divorce case for clients, and then they refer them to me to put them through the actual court process because mediators, generally speaking, won't handle the filings, uh, dealing with the court and all that. Um, they'll, they'll send them to me. Or let's say that I had a consultation, everything seemed like on the up and up, didn't think we we're going to have any problems. And then we go to sign the settlement agreement. And uh, now there's a falling out or a disagreement on a particular issue and you guys can't resolve it. Maybe I give you a couple of suggestions and that doesn't help. And, and you're like, Tim, what do we do? Do we get attorneys? And I would say, no, why don't you guys make an appointment with a mediator? Go hash that out. See if that can resolve it. Often it does. And then you come right back to me and we, we um, you know, update the settlement agreement. You guys sign it and you're done. So um, I do refer out to mediators. I have a whole list of them on my website. Um, if you're looking for a mediator, um, and then generally, if it, you're a client of mine and we're working together and you get stuck, and I know what the issue is, is it financial related? Okay, CDFA. Is it custody related? I have a guy that um, focuses on, on on custody issues and helping you guys reach parenting plan and so forth. So um, obviously, that's another benefit in working with me if you guys run into problems. Okay. Number eight, divorce mediation versus versus litigation which is right for you. So we just talked extensively about mediation. We also talked about litigation going to court, me being that only 90, only 10% of people actually go to trial. But I guess the most important thing about mediation versus uh, litigation is there's going to be some factors that will make it workable or not. Have people call and say, Tim, we want to do mediation, but he won't, he or she won't um, talk to me. Uh, I want to do mediation and make it amicable, but he or she is hiding assets. Um, I want to make it amicable, but they're uncooperative. Um, or they just won't engage in the process whatsoever. So mediation is not going to work if both of you don't come to the table open, honest, excuse me, with the goal of reaching an agreement and doing what's best for both of you. Because, you don't, you know, if someone wins in a divorce, then someone had to lose. Mediation is going to be where both of you either are win or you both feel like you've lost. I think that's how you know you came to a fair agreement when that's the case. You also want to keep in mind, you want to do what's best for the kids. When you have, uh, I had clients the other day, not clients, a consultation. And as soon as the husband realized that the more timeshare mom has, who he, he said he agreed that she should have 90% of the timeshare because she's at home not working and it's young kids and he is working, they can't have them. As soon as you realize that that affects how much child support's going to pay, suddenly you want to be dad of the year and uh, want 50-50 custody. That's not doing the right thing, uh, but people do different things, money motivated, and they're just unfortunately not going to have an amicable divorce. They're going to go to court, and guess what? They probably won't get 50-50. I'm not an attorney, but when they see that dad's working and mom's not, in reality, how can you have 50-50? So, you might just be forced in this uh, mediation litigation, even, even if you want mediation, if your spouse won't come to the table, they're not honest, they're not, you know, they're just not engaging. 
litigation is going to be the way you have to go. Now, litigation doesn't mean trial. Litigation just means you have to get an attorney to represent you and probably your spouse will as well. And litigation means your, your uh, attorney is trying to get, is going to try and get you the best deal, assuming that's what you want. But if you just one note I would say on this is you really need to talk to your attorney because there's aggressive attorneys, there's non-aggressive attorneys, there's everywhere in between. You're going to want to tell them, look, this is what I want. I don't want to, you know, just get me full. You know, you got to be very clear what you want. Otherwise, they're going to try and get you everything. Um, you know, what I call a hundred percent, fifty percent of yours, and I'm sorry, hundred percent of yours and fifty percent of your spouse's. So just be careful with your attorneys. There's a lot of good ones out there. There's also a lot of bad ones out there. Just you need to communicate with them with what you want. Number nine, understanding Social Security benefits for divorced spouses. So I'm going to make this pretty um, easy to understand. If you've been married longer than 10 years, you can claim 100% of your own Social Security or 50% of your spouse's, whichever is higher, without negatively impacting your spouse. If your husband is getting $2,000 a month in Social Security and you get on your own behalf $500 in Social Security, you would claim $1,000, 50% of your spouse's $2,000, and your spouse still gets $2,000. And that's how Social Security works when there is uh, a marriage of more than 10 years. There's some other parameters in there, like if you get remarried and so forth, um, some of that can go away. Um, go to the Social Security website. It's all right there. It's actually pretty plain English. Um, and I say that because we do have people coming to the table who say, Tim, we agree on everything, but Social Security, I don't want her to have it. And she wants it. And when I explain to them, this is a non-issue. In fact, we don't even put Social Security into the settlement agreement because it's already addressed through the um, through the state. Number 10, did you keep your finances separate during your marriage? It's very common. Um, but what I want to talk about is when people call me and they'll say they've been married maybe 10, 20 years, doesn't matter the length. And they'll say, Tim, um, we have no assets or debts together. I say, okay, you've been married 10, 20 years, whatever the case might be. You guys have no assets and debts? Like, no, we have assets and debts, but we have nothing together. I'm like, okay, explain that to me. We never combined our assets. He's not on my savings account, checking account. I have my own car. He's not on title. Um, you know, my, my pension's mine. His pension's his. Um, <clears throat> you know, all down the line, they kept everything separate. Just understand that even though you guys didn't combine anything, the way it works in California is it's still considered community property. And again, this is not legal advice. Look it up. Anything acquired during the marriage, your income, um, the accruals of your 401ks, your pensions, that's all considered community property, um, even if it's not in each other's name. That's just how it works. So why I wanted to bring that up is even if you keep your, your finances separate, it's very popular. It's very common. I hear that quite a bit. Probably 25% of the time, spouses have kept their finances completely separate. Maybe just a heads up. Maybe that's not the best way to, to do your divorce I know, or your, handle your marriage. Um, just a thought, if you guys are doing on totally different fields, you guys aren't, uh, I know this is a Dave Ramsey thing. I'm probably uh, channeling here, but, um, he would tell you if, how are you guys going to, um, you know, grow financially and invest and have a, if you guys aren't talking, you have different credit card debts that either of you're not aware of, you're maybe giving, you know, you each contribute to the mortgage or the rent, but outside of that, it's, you're on your own going to be hard to create wealth as a family. And maybe that's one of the reasons you end up getting divorced. I don't know. Not for me to say. Number 11, 
How to save money on legal fees during divorce. Tip number one, don't use an attorney. Going back to what we talked about, that may not be possible. Mediation is going to be cheaper. I'm even less expensive than that. It's kind of a leveling up. Doing it yourself is the cheapest, but maybe not the most workable or likely you get your divorce done. I'm the most professional service out there as a neutral third party to help you handle your divorce. Very cost-effective way of doing it. Mediation, if you need to bring them into the loop to get into an agreement and then come back to me, that's another little level up for assistance. Last, last resort, I talked about the different reasons why you might need an attorney is going to be attorney. And th that's how you can kind of keep your cost down. I would always say, if possible, start with me, then move to mediation if that doesn't work, and then go to an attorney at that point. At least you would have got maybe 80% of the way through the process um, and saved that money to that point. would have had your case file, disclosures done, everything except the litigation part. And now you can just go to the attorney and like, oh, great. Everything's pretty much done. We just need to get into trial or start negotiating the terms. <coughs> and um, you're, you're that much further um, to having your divorce done. Keep in mind, like if your your attorney isn't going to have to start over and do all the things we've already done. All of that's already in place and does not have to be redone again. Okay, now I'm going to talk about a couple of different articles I read, very interesting um, that I want to go over. Things that I'm not an expert in, but just things that are interesting in the divorce world. Um, some tips. Um, we're going to talk about the shortest marriage in history. So this is on, uh, I, I was telling you guys the other day, I uh, congregate, corrugate, corrugate, whatever. Um, I have a search term for divorce in my iPad. And I look for interesting articles I think you guys might be interested in. Couples divorced after three minutes when groom makes shocking comment at wedding. <clears throat> the couple had been married just three minutes when an unfortunate incident resulted in a comment from the groom and the bride demand divorce, which was granted. The couple got a divorce just three minutes after being declared husband and wife after the groom mocked the bride as they were leaving their wedding ceremony. After the legal proceeding ended, the couple turned to walk out of the courthouse, but the bride tripped over. According to the reports, the groom called her stupid. Yeah, no one likes that. For falling over, claims the woman became extremely angry and demanded the judge and end their marriage immediately. So the judge who just married them is a judge. They didn't have to go to another court. They had a judge right there. The judge agreed and served an annulment just three minutes after he originally married them. So I've done some short divorces. It hasn't been three minutes. I've had people um, get drunk, go to Vegas, wake up with a marriage certificate in their pocket the next morning and, uh, you know, never intended to be married. Just, you know, had, had one of the best nights of their life, apparently, until the morning when it was the worst day of their life. And uh, I've done those divorce cases. And a funny thing to note, uh, in this case, it was annulled. I this, this situation I'm talking about where we did this divorce where they never lived together, they never intended to be married, they got drunk. You know, that's technically in California, one of the reasons you can get an annulment. Um, you know, unsound mind, you know, there's some legal jargon to that. The judge actually refused the annulment and said, you know what, let's teach these kids um, to prevent them from getting drunk in the future and making this mistake again. We're going to make this a divorce, not an annulment. So Kind of crazy. Let's see what else I had for you today. What to do for your first post-divorce holiday. I thought this was interesting because we just had Thanksgiving, going into Christmas, and if you're just recently divorced, you know, what are you going to do? You're, it's going to be different. Um, uh, I have a neighbor. Um, I probably shouldn't talk about that, but we have. I know people that are they're going through a divorce and it's, you know, one comes in the morning, one comes back when they go to work and they're in the evening. 
you know, so it's, it's going to be a different holiday for you. So this was in the Sunday Times um, from Katie Lett. And it, basically, she's a, um, says our travel trouble, troubleshooter, Kathy Lett. Did I say Katie? Kathy. Our travel our travel troubleshooter, Kathy Lett, takes a no-nonsense approach to your dilemmas. And, and the question was, where should I go for my first solo post-divorce holiday? So here's the question. I'm 65 and recently divorced, which has left me relieved and comfortably off, but lonely and lacking confidence. I have very few friends, none of them single. My two daughters have left home and have family of their own. An active adventure holiday sounds appealing, but something is holding me back from making a decision and the booking. I don't need a man to look after me, but I am open to a little holiday romance too. Do you have any advice? And basically the advice goes into, so I don't read the entire story to you, is that it will be challenging your first or even few um, holidays, whether you're doing it on your own or you're trying to make it work for your kids, if you're sharing custody now at different homes. Our clients are very amicable of different different levels of am amicability. Um, so it depends on, you know, we we all have uh, clients say, Tim, we've, we're better friends now now that we're divorced than when we were married and we're better parents as well. You know, they're going to holidays together. They're still able to make that work. Everyone's going to be different when it comes to that. Um, but just because you're divorced uh, doesn't mean you guys can't still get together, still can't be with the kids. Still might be a little awkward, but I think it's just going to depend on how nasty your divorce was. If you guys go through a nasty, litigated, high-conflict divorce, you're probably not doing holidays together. All right, the next point, number 14, how to divorce-proof your marriage. Had some good topics here. This is from a website called Your Tango. I want to make sure I give credit to where credit is due. This is by Caitlin Hill. This was just written a couple days ago. Um, and here's what she says. Relationships are tricky. They aren't a science. There's no way to ensure it'll work out, but everyone's got an idea of how you should approach them. And many people aren't afraid to share their own relationship advice. The problem is not everything works every for every couple. However, there are some themes that couples can follow to keep their relationships on track. These pieces of modern relationship advice provide a good starting point. Number one, Ask for what you want in the bedroom. Now, I'm not going to go into detail on that. I think you guys can figure that part out. But it says, that's right. Sex is an integral integral, integral part of healthy and happy relationships. Hence, the stress on keeping lines of communication open in the bedroom. You know that thing you've always wanted to try, but keep to yourself. We say, let your freak flag fly. Uh, keeping your sex life new and interesting will make you and your partner happier in and out of the bedroom. So glad I get to read these things because I don't. I wouldn't normally feel comfortable talking about this because I'm not a sex and relationship expert. I have interviewed them. Go to our uh, um, divorce661.com. I have a save your marriage tab. And under there, I have relationship coaches, sex coaches, dating coaches, a ton of wealth of uh, information in there. And we talk about some fun and interesting stuff, if you will. Number two, stay spontaneous. Remember when you first got your significant other and everything was fun and exciting? You probably went on lots of dates brought each other to your favorite bars and hangouts and did all kinds of things you're probably doing much less of now. Face it, the honeymoon phase is over, but that doesn't mean you can revisit the revisit it occasionally. Go out and have a good time like you used to. This reminds me in, in my book, which you can see behind me. Where is my thing here? Uh, you can get on my website. But I, I have a chapter in there. Oh, I just messed up the camera. I have a um, chapter in there that talks about how, um, you know, when I was writing the book, I was like, oh, my God, this this applies to me as well, obviously. 
I'll be married 30 years next April, 2024. And I am not perfect, obviously. And I fell victim to that kind of fall into a rut. Everything's the same spouse kind of becomes your um, business partner in life versus your, your spouse and your lover and all that good stuff. So um, I'm trying to be better at doing that. It's good that we're reading this together. Number three, toss tradition aside. We are no longer confined to traditional gender roles. That's for sure. You know what I'm talking about. Forget what your mama told you about food, cooking, and cleaning is the way is a man's heart. Any modern man is worth his weight in gold knows how sexy, strong, independent woman who can hold her own is. Likewise, dudes, women like being catered to occasionally. This is in the kitchen and whip up a romantic at-home dinner for your woman. A couple who can respect each other's dreams and chase them together is a couple that will have a strong, lasting relationship. So two things there. I'm in the kitchen all the time. I don't know if I consider myself strong romantic in the in the kitchen, but I do. I am a good cook and like to smoke meat, um, bad brisket for Thanksgiving. Um, and a couple who can respect each other's dreams and chase them together. That kind of goes back to we were talking about the the finances and keeping them separate. You really can't chase those dreams together if you're keeping your your financials your financials separate. Number four, give me one second. Be realistic, be realistic, optimistic, and willing to put in the, the work. Despite what you grew up thinking, your Prince Charming isn't going to ride in on his white horse and whisk you away, and men don't expect to stumble across a Labutin. I have no idea what that is. That's going to lead you to your princess. Now, this doesn't mean you have to settle for the next best thing. We encourage you to find what that person is. Just can't imagine your life without. I think that goes back to the honeymoon thing. And number five, don't compare your relationship. While it's nice to consult your girlfriend or bros about relationship issues, keep that in mind. Every relationship is different, and what works for you one works for one couple may not work for you. And I will add to this as we wrap up here: don't shit talk your spouse or about your spouse to your friends or or family for that matter. Keep it keep it inside. Keep it between the two of you. Don't go to work. Talk about your marital problems. Don't go to your friends. Talk about your marital problems. This is my opinion. Um, that's not going to help. And then you guys get together again. You go over to their house for a party, and and they're like, oh, yeah, I remember what you said about her or him. I just don't think that's workable. I think it's an integrity thing. I think you guys should um, work out your difference between you. And if you, if you are having trouble and you find yourself talking smack about each other, maybe you should get some some counseling if that's what you're into. Well, I hope you enjoyed uh, today's episode 34 of the Divorce 661 Daily Perspective. Um, and let me know what you think about me going over these articles. I think they're interesting. Get lets me talk about things I don't normally talk about. Um, and I think they're a little fun, even though I'm just talking to myself. But I feel like you're here. We'll talk to you tomorrow. You have a good Thursday.